Welcome back to the Work For It podcast. Uh, this is Brian Cohn, and this is an interview with the one and only Noah Bloomberg. But before we get into this, I want to thank our sponsors. First, we have Maritime Knife Supply. If you are a knife maker, go check out their stuff. There is so much that you can get from them, and it's all high-quality stuff, and they ship super quick. Also, check out Baker Forge and Tool. If you're a knife maker and you want the best Damascus out there, go check out Baker Forge and Tool because they have just mind-blowing patterns and they have top-notch stuff. Definitely go check them out. I also want to thank our Patreon, but let's get into the show. Noah Bloomberg for Entiat Reader Forge. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Very good, very good. I'm so glad to get you on the podcast. I just finished doing an interview with your with your show mate. So yeah, I, I just had to get you on back to back, you know? That, that works out well. The, the hustle and grind back to back. He's the yeah, hustle, yeah. I'm the grind. Oh, is that how it goes? I don't know, I just, that, we, 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 <laughs> let's forget I said that, I'm sorry. Dude, that, that interview with them was crazy. It's just, you know, ugh. <laughs> We got I, into conspiracy theory talk for a little bit. We got oh, into geez. some personal stuff. You know, we're having fun with it. Well, that's cool. I can't wait to hear it because, uh, you know, on the on the show, Ryan and I are constantly trying to, you know, we talk back and forth, but we try and, you know, we almost always have guests. So we're trying to, you know, get into the details of them and what they're up to and, and sure. get some information out to our listeners. So we don't usually get into too much about what we're doing. So that'll be a right. fun one to listen to. I really enjoy how good of an interviewer you are. I know you don't necessarily do one-on-one interviews yet, but you always on the show come up with really great questions. So I'm I'm going to have some fun trying to throw great questions at you. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. That's that's something that I I felt was really intimidating when I came on the show was because you know, back in the day, Hustle and Grind was a little bit different than it is now. And then it kind of turned into more of an interview show where we kind of almost always have guests. Right. And so I wanted to, you know, I, I did put a little bit of focus in that. You know, I did a little bit of research into what good good interviews interviewers do and how they approach things. And not going to lie, I listened to this very show um, for a little bit of a, an example Goodness, you're making me blush over here. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, you know, so it was, it was, it was mostly just like a, I, you know, I know that we're gonna have some some really good guests on the show, and I want to show them the respect of doing some research beforehand and and making them sound as good as possible. Because if they're yeah. coming on our show, you know, we need to try and highlight them as much as possible and ask good questions. So yeah, absolutely. So I guess. Before we jump into more hustle and grind talk, because that is that is you and Ryan put on a great show every week. Um, no. I kind of want to talk about what you guys, what you're doing in your shop this week. I know it's kind of a cliche, you know. Some would call it, you know, flea bag question, but what's going, <laughs> on, what's going on in your shop this week, man? I'm a professional flea bag, so I don't mind at all. Um, what's going on in my shop? Well, I honestly I have been really low on orders. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, last last year has was a little bit slower for me than than the previous year. The first year, I just I couldn't keep up, you know. Yeah. And then this last year slowed down quite a bit. Um, but I recently got a couple of uh, bigger orders, so I'm excited for that. Um, and I've just honestly this last week, I've been struggling with getting sick, and oh no, and it's been so freaking cold here. And I'm a wimp. Um, you know, I I talk to a lot of Canadians and. 
and I am definitely a wimp when it comes to the cold. <laughs> so uh, it's it's tough to get moving. But uh, but yeah, um, this week was actually pretty exciting. I worked on my most ambitious Damascus build that I'm doing right now. Um, Ooh, that's for tell a custom me a- order. Hold on, you got to tell me all about that one. Well, I don't know if I want to because it's I don't it's something that I don't think anyone else has done, and they. I don't know. That's kind of hard to say because, you know, with Damascus patterns, like pretty much everything's been done at one point. You just don't necessarily know, you know. Give me a taste of it. Get, just give me a little, like, can you give me a little bit of a description? Feather Inception. Feather Inception. So a feather within a feather? Yes. Um, so when I first started knife making, I was following just a couple, you know, just a few handful of knife makers. You know, I had no idea the community that existed when I first started. Mm. Yeah. And the first pattern that I ever saw that blew my mind was feather pattern. Okay. And, and I've just had a mild obsession with it ever since. And so I've done a few, but I always try and do it differently. You know, I don't want to just do a classic feather pattern. Like this last one that I did, I did a shotgunner that was a custom order. And I did, I don't even know how you describe it, but I, I did like some twisted W's and stacked those on end and then split that into a feather. So it gave it a really different look. Ooh, interesting. And so this time I'm doing basically a standard feather. And then from there, I'm going to draw that billet instead of flipping it on its face and then drawing that out into a blade with the feather. Mm-hmm. I'm going to then draw that out into a bar and then tile it so that you've got multiple feathers probably six I would guess um, okay and then tile those and then stack those tiles so that basically the end of the feather is facing the middle so and then split that as well so basically you've got oh. six feathers that are then split into another feather Wow I I totally see what you're doing with the feather inception yeah, featherception so. <laughs> yeah we'll so s- we'll see if it works out yeah I mean that mentally like in my mind I can see how it would work. You know, it seems like something that would be logical, even though it's something crazy. Yeah, my, I, yeah, I don't know. My, my, my biggest fear is that it'll just get too muddled and you won't be able to really see the detail. So I don't know. So I guess it would really hinge on, you know, if you did a really fine feather. So if you did a lot of layers before you feather the first one, or if you do kind of like a thicker, chunkier feather. Right. Yeah. So I'm actually going slightly lower layer just yeah. for that very reason because I don't want it to just look like a bunch of streaks that you can't see any texture or depth in so it's it's coming along so how many years have you been making Damascus now because I I see that you have a power press and um obviously that thing's an absolute workhorse we can talk about the press in a little bit but tell me how, when did you first get into making Damascus oh man honestly I don't know um so let's see here so I started in the beginning of 2020. So I guess I've probably only been making Damascus since, I don't know. Couple years. Not not even that, honestly, probably a year and a half at most. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I initially, I I made a press, um, I took a Harbor Freight press, like like a bearing tile press. Oh. And then I swapped the, the ram out for like an air over hydraulic cylinder right and then made my own dyes and i hold hooked on up the air hold to on. go ahead that is such like why don't people do that on a more regular basis because it's really slow um oh. but 
it works, you know, um, it's really not that difficult. And I, I posted a little bit about it when I had made it and everything. And there was a couple other people that were interested. And I think other, I think Brigham has done something along those lines as well. Um, so it's, it's not like a, a new or, I mean, I, I came up with it on my own, but other people have done it. Right. Um, I, I didn't see anyone else do it. that gave me the idea. I just was trying to think of the most economical way to get steel squished together, you know? So, don't you hate it? Don't you absolutely hate it when you come up with something that you think is novel and all of a sudden you look out and a couple people have already done it? I'm just used to it. I mean, there's <laughs> there's, there's nothing new under the sun, honestly. Right. You know, it's just the way the, the way the world is nowadays. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so I hooked that up to a an air uh, foot switch and used that um, to make my first Damascus. And it's slow, and you just kind of – I I think I welded a wrench or something onto the, the release valve, and then it's got springs that draw it back up. So um, that worked well, and basically what happened was I made enough Damascus and Sanmai to to fund myself into getting myself a, a coal iron works 12-ton. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the way to do it. You you use the the shitty one to make enough money to buy the decent one. So which which coal ironworks? You said the twenty ton, the twelve ton, oh, just twelve the, ton, just the little baby one. So what made you go with that one over getting something a little bit bigger? Was um, it just cost? Cost was a big factor. Um, I'm not going to say it wasn't, um, but the the just the. I don't know the the portability of it honestly like it's so much smaller and easier to move around because I've sure. got it I've got it mounted on a wheeled cart so I can move it up and down so I recently moved from a big bigger shop into a little littler shop and I had to haul all of my equipment up this big hill and everything that's my backyard and I mean if I had had one of their 16 or 20 tons I mean it would have taken a lot more work so sure sure what happened to make you go from that bigger shop to the smaller shop? Well, my wife is an incredibly talented person, and she mm-hmm. is into uh, furniture refinishing. So we have two shops on our property, and one's probably, I don't know, 16 by 20, maybe a little smaller than that. And the other one's a big 30 by 30 shop. And right. I initially was doing like a lot of mechanic work and stuff in the 30 by 30 and then when I started knife making, it just got completely converted into my knife shop. But not all of it was being used, you know? Like, I, my wife had a 12-foot table in this tiny shop. <laughs> and I'm like, babe, I'm working on things that are, like, 14 inches long, and you're working on things that are 12 feet long. Right. How much sense does it really make that I'm in this big shop and you're in this little tiny shop? Like, I kind of feel like maybe maybe we should switch. So right. that's, that's what we ended up doing, you know? Um, I I mean, don't get me wrong. I love having all the space in the world, but I the way that my brain works, having a smaller shop actually works better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it keeps me from getting overwhelmed with, you know, having to, you know, move from here to there. And it, it allows me to stay organized by forcing me to stay organized. Um so everything's where it is, and it's not going to go anywhere else, you know? Right, right. That's one thing that I really enjoyed about having a little itty-bitty shop is also, like, you're never more than two steps away from any tool. Exactly. Everything's yes. reachable. Mm-hmm. And, and I thrive in that, that sort of situation a lot more than, you know, the 
big giant space of you know running over here to over there where did i set this you know oh well it's you know 20 feet away versus in the small shop everything's pretty much within arm's reach so so you're happy with you know the smaller shop and i mean you have quite a bit of tools i've seen post of your larger shop how does that all fit in that little spot very well. Um, really? Yeah, no, the only thing that I have an issue with is my tumbler. So I have a large tumbler, um, and it does not fit in my shop. So it's actually currently out in front of my shop right now. It's just kind of been sitting out there, and then whenever I use it, I plug it in and get it going. Um, I bought a smaller tumbler, like one of the Harbor Freight vibrating tumblers, but... Mm-hmm. I can't fit chef knives in it. So if I wanted to do a tumble finish on a chef knife, I have to bust out the bigger one. So, Have you seen the uh, tumble system that I put together? That would work perfect for me. I just have to um, find the brain space to make one. Literally, it, it may be if, – if you're not making a video like I was, it will take you like 20, 25 minutes to bust it all together. It's such a simple little thing. I need to do that so badly. You really do. You I really do. Because then I could just sell this other tumbler or give it to another knife maker. Like somebody that has a bigger shop. I mean, it's an excellent tumbler. Uh, it works great. It's just so big. Um, yeah. I mean, I really need all to, it, to just. All it, is, all it is is a scrap piece of wood that you cut a little groove out of. Um, a couple caster wheels, smaller ones. I've even found out that fixed caster wheels work okay with it. Like I did all oh, the, yeah. the twisting casters. That's unnecessary. And then a, a PVC pipe with the correct fittings on the end so that one side's capped and one side has a screw off. And uh, yeah, you're good to go. A couple rubber bands. Yeah. Boom. Why, why have I not done that? I have no idea. It only take you a little bit. It's just, um, you know, it's I did the three inch PVC and that is way too small. Definitely get like four, five, six inch, and uh, yeah, that I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, especially with those chef knives, it just the the tumble like the media isn't going all the way around it. It's like getting one side and then I flip it over and then it gets the other side. Yeah, definitely yeah. the bigger bigger that's, tubes. That's definitely the move. I need to do that. So I know I heard on the Hustle and Grind podcast that you had one hell of a fiasco with your heat treating system. Is that is that kind of figured out by now? Or is, I mean, why don't we, for those of you who haven't listened to the Hustle and Grind, why don't you go ahead and tell them all about the the fiasco with it? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, okay. So I want to begin this conversation by letting you all know that I am a moron (laughs) no come on now no really this is this is the stupidest story in the world and um i don't really want to admit how stupid i am but here we go so i ordered a heat treat oven um from was it usanifemaker.com they have Mm -hmm. a a collaboration oven with paragon that basically combines a smaller chamber with Paragon's top-of-the-line controller, and they call it the Knife Dog's Kiln. It's insanely affordable. It's like 1300 bucks, and it's a full-on Paragon oven, but it's only like 14 inches deep. Mm-hmm. And so when I was looking at heat-treating ovens and everything, and everybody always says, oh, buy bigger than you think you're going to need, buy once, cry once, and I decided mm, maybe buy twice, cry twice, because that's... <laughs> That's just sort of my self-destructive behavior that I engage in on a regular basis. Um, 
And at the end of the day, eventually I'm going to want more than one heat treat oven. Right. So this will get me to where I can make stainless. I can do all different kinds of stuff. And at the moment, I don't make anything bigger than 14 inches in length. I just don't. Like, that's not something that I do. I don't make swords. It's not necessary. So Right. And if you could, if you need to make a sword, you could make it happen. Like it's, Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I've done a lot of heat treating in the forge. I got it down pretty close to a science with a thermal couple. And I was doing really good heat treating in the, in the, in the forge. Not so. to distract you, but like, if you're making a sword, how often do you think that thing's actually going to get used? Probably like, never. If, if the heat treat is slightly off in one little set, like, is it, is it really like, how bad is it going to be? <laughs> You know, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. <laughs> probably, probably just going to be a wall hanger anyways. I mean, right, obviously you're right. going to make it to the same standards that you would make something else, but, oh yeah, but yeah, you're probably right. But if you're 60 Rockwell all the way through and then one spots at 58, that's, that's not going to be a killer. No. Like that's, who cares? <laughs> so, anyway, sorry. so anyway, so yeah, so I ordered this oven and, um, long story short, it arrived it was supposed to be black. It came in baby poop brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really uh, – it's not like the worst color in the world, but it's close. Oh, well, with a name like baby poop brown, how could it not be the best color ever? I, you know, I don't even know like who thought that that was a good idea because originally it, it came in like this really cool like pumpkin orange and that was like the only – that was like their signature color. Mm-hmm. Well, they uh, there was a little note on the website that said, oh, we run out of paint. Uh, this is going to come in black. And I'm like, that's fine. Black is black is black, you know, whatever. I don't right. care. It, it can be black. And then I got it and it, it's literally baby poop brown. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so I called them up. Long story short, someone at Paragon just decided, oh, hey, this is close enough. Right. And painted it that without even asking anyone. And so that got that all figured out. The guys at USA Knife Maker were really nice. Their service or their uh, customer service was excellent. So shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within, I don't know, four or five times of me using it, it started tripping the breaker every time mm-hmm. I would turn it on. So I got in touch with Paragon. Those guys, speaking of customer service, were amazing. They got back to me immediately. They sent me parts. I got it all figured out, you know, no problem. Got it all figured out. And then it started tripping the breaker again. Oh, geez. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Um, yeah, there was a there was a loose wire in my breaker. Oh. Oh, boy. That is awful. So it was shipped with a loose wire. No, no, in my shop. The, the oh. breaker. Oh. The, the breaker that I installed in my oh. shop that I wired in had a loose wire. So, so, okay, now I understand. <laughs> so, I thought when you said there's a loose wire in the brake, like I assume like in the in the machine itself. I I, I would love to be able to say that. I would so <laughs> love to be able to say that. But no, this is entirely my fault. Um the odd thing is is that, you know, there could have been an issue in one of the parts that they sent me to replace um because it started working again immediately. Oh, geez. So I don't know what that deal was. And then it started to have issues later on. So maybe there was an issue with one of those parts that got fixed. And then the wire loosened up in the breaker somehow. I don't know. Um, it was the shop elves. The shop elves pull that wire on you. That's that's what it was. So anyways. Bastards. 
So yeah, so since then, it's been great. I haven't had any uh, real issues. Um, I heat treated my first stainless just yesterday, actually. So Nice. What, what stainless steel and how did it go? Uh, I did AEBL because that's what nice. everybody says is the you know the easiest starter stainless. It also performs super well, so I I like AEBL. That's what I've heard. So I'm looking forward um looking forward to testing out. I just made two. I made a fillet and a, a little I don't know miniature chef knife with a K tip. So um, nice. I'm gonna finish those up and then do some testing with them. Um, Right now, the the sixty five Rockwell file skates off of them pretty pretty well. So that is damn hard for stainless. Well done. Uh, I was you know based I I do all my heat treating based off of the heat treat recommendations from New Jersey Steel Baron. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm not too proud to admit that I don't know much. So if there's somebody out there that that very much knows what they're doing i'm just going to do what they say so yeah exactly why would you try to figure it out yourself when you have the materials handy to like you know what why would you come up with a new you know recipe for chocolate chip cookies when you can look up how to make killer chocolate chip cookies you know exactly you know so no sense screwing with perfection but according to them it's only i mean with cryo it's supposed to come out at maybe 62 63 so did you do um, cryo? I don't have a doer, so I oh. wasn't able to. But um, we recently had uh, Tobias Hangler on the Hustle and Grind, and we were talking about AEBL with him, and he was talking about how throwing the the blades into a household freezer within five minutes of quenching is going to help convert all that extra, the, the RA, um, as long as you are quick about it um it actually does a really good job of converting all the ra after um after quench so mm. as soon as i quenched the two blades i stuck them in the freezer for a couple hours while i waited for my heat treat oven to cool back down uh tempered them and i have a ritual after i temper blades where i check them with the file make sure everything's still hard and then i smack them up against the horn of the anvil as hard as possible so that if there's any cracks, I know about it right away. Jesus. You're playing with fire over there. Goodness well, gracious. I want it to crack on me, not on a customer. I mean, very true, but, I mean, that just sounds like you're going to put in a crack. Uh, if I did it before temper, maybe. But doing I it guess ha- that's true. That's doing, true. It, doing it after temper, it's just, a, it's just a solid torture test just to make sure that uh, any, any defects are found out now. Yeah, I mean... I can't tell you. I mean, there has to have been 10, 20 times that I've ground out a knife all the way to almost finish. And it's in the polishing where I find a micro fracture. And it's like, damn it, you snap it and you, you throw it away or try to make something smaller with it. Yep. This just takes all that guesswork out. <clears throat> I, That's I, smart. I've, That's smart. I've had that issue before. And it's like, ah, I don't want to put that much time into something and then find a flaw at the last step. I'd, I'd rather right. smack it now and get it over with. That's true. That's true. And that's, I mean, that's a good mentality and that's a really good test. So changing gears, I want to talk about baby Noah. So obviously you are a handy person. Have you been handy all the way throughout your life? Um, yeah, I'd probably say so. Um, so I guess my, the question that I always ask is, you know, if you could think back to when you first made 
something in general. You started with an idea, I want to make X, and then you made it. When, tell me about that project and tell me about that time in your life. Hmm, that's a tough one. I don't know. I was always very, uh, I've always had a very extensive imagination my entire life. Um, so as a kid, I was always making things, you know. Sure. Uh, my family growing up wasn't, um, wasn't into guns or hunting or fishing. Um, I was obsessed with it. So I drugged my dad to take me fishing multiple times when I was a kid, even though he was not into fishing at all. Sure. Um, every stick that I could find that was slightly shaped like a gun, I carved it until it looked it looked like a gun. And then I, uh, you know, went hunting in my backyard, you know, sure. pr- pretend sure. when I was a little kid. Gotta get um, them squirrels. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I carved a sword pretty early on. Okay. Um... So your so your knife making goes back until what? How old do you think you were back then? Oh, ten maybe. Ten. Ten year old sword maker. I mean, come yeah. on now. <laughs> I was making slingshots. I was making swords. I was carving guns. I mean, I was always, always into that sort of thing when I was a kid. So, but your your family seems to have not kind of deterred you from that type of you know stuff, right? <laughs> No, no. Um, That's good. Growing up, my my mother was always the creative one. She painted. Um, my my dad was uh, a musician. Um, really? What my, did he play? Like what what kind of musician? Oh, he plays guitar. So um, he's the reason I play guitar. And my uh, sister, I had. Two older sisters. Uh, the middle one um, is a, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, I would say a professional level uh, classical pianist. Oh, wow. That's intense. Yeah, she teaches at um, a couple of different colleges. She does her own teaching. Um, she's involved with a couple of the major music uh, groups, I would say, over now, on the coast. Here's- Here's something that might be a really cool connection between the two of us. So you said that she you're you are in Washington. Is does she happen to teach piano at Washington State? Uh I don't know. Um I know she's taught at a couple different colleges. She may right. she may have taught at I don't know where she's teaching currently. So. Okay. Because my um my first marching bands, you know, the the student runners like the the um band director was basically he graduated from central and then he now teaches at washington state so it would be cool oh. like somehow you know a friend of mine knows your sister i don't know i just thought maybe that'd be a funny little thing. Whatever, whatever so so he like washington state as in wsu yeah yeah the purple one no the purple wsu is the cougars oh uh, I just know it's purple, like the school colors are purple and it's Washington. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> my, my sister graduated from WSU, so that's on the other side of the state. That's over on my side of the state. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know. <laughs> no worries. Goodness gracious. So thinking back, you know, you were making swords, you were making, you know, these fake guns, um, you know, Let's let's continue to talk about that. Like, what? Where did you really start your, or where did you grow your making ability? 
Uh, honestly, um, it's really hard to say uh, because my teenage years were a little bit. I don't. I don't want to say rocky because I mean I, I had a pretty good childhood compared to a sure. lot of people. So, um, I, I'd say my imagination kind of died a little bit in my teenage years. Aside from music, I've always been very into music. Music is um, a, a huge, huge part of my life. Um, you and me I, both. I play guitar, and I was kind of in a couple bands growing up and stuff like that. Um, but honestly, around the time I met my wife, um, I basically decided it was just time to grow up and I needed to get a job. So uh, I went to school to become a mechanic or an auto technician um, and basically just kind of threw myself into that until the last few years. Um, I've just been so focused on, you know, making a living and surviving, you know? Um, and then I've just, I've always had this, um, I, I struggle for a way to describe it, but, uh, I, I run through hobbies really easily. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, I've been told that it's an ADHD trait, um, where you, you get a hobby and you get hyper-focused on it yep. and obsess over it and don't think about anything else for a while. And then you get bored with it and you move on. So yeah. um, I've had lots of those. Um, I I think the ones that come to mind is I got really obsessed with um, cigars for a while. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, I, no, it's it's fine because, like, you know, cigars – with cigarettes, you know, you're, you're inhaling where cigars is just purely in your mouth and it's a flavor thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I also, I also, when I was in college or the last couple of years in college, a group of friends and I would get together all summer long, every Wednesday night and we'd have a bonfire. We'd have some burgers or steaks or whatever we can pull our money together for. And we'd all smoke some cigars. And it's, it's like a ritualistic thing. It is. And you know, like I, I have always loved cigars. I think I smoked my first cigar when I was 16 or 17 and I've, I've always just loved the relaxation of it. You know, the, yeah. the, there's actually, I mean, there's so much into it, like the craft of, of making tobacco cigars and like just the, the love and care that the, you know, people put into it between the blending and all the different facets of it. It's really fascinating. So mm -hmm. I, I dove headfirst into it and got really, really deep into it. And I started a YouTube channel, um, reviewing cigars and um i was actually what's fairly... that called i want to look it up now no i'm not gonna oh come on no 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 it's <laughs> noah bloomberg cigars i'm just gonna be typing things in until i find it that's fine you can you can okay you can have fun with that um okay. <laughs> <laughs> no and it, it was you know it was a, it was a, uh it was fun while i did it you know i i did like a lot of stupid stuff like i was i was I was trying to be as entertaining as possible. So like I, I did like a series of videos, like how to cut a cigar the right way and the wrong way. And so then like, I, I went through and I like, I threw an ax and I, and I cut it with the ax or, uh, I, I 
stuck the cigar underneath a running lawnmower and I, I cut it with the lawnmower blade. Come on. You got to let us see that. I cut it with a chainsaw and, and some other stupid stuff. It was great. Or I did one where you, uh, how to light a cigar. And so I lit one off of a flaming arrow and then I shot oh the my. flaming arrow. And then I, I think I, I did one with like an oxyacetylene torch and oh my God. lit it off of a barbecue grill, you know, just come on. You got to let us see that. Let us, Come on, <laughs> you gotta tell us the the link or something. Tech seven one seven or what was it? Is it seven seven one seven cigar reviews or something like that? I think seven one seven cigar reviews. I am for sure going to be watching that later oh, on today. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, and then I got I got burnout so hard, and it was funny because when I first started listening to uh, work for it. There was a conversation that that I think it was you and Brian were having about how people are getting into social media not necessarily because they're you know super passionate about whatever it is, but because you know they're they're trying to make a name for themselves or they're trying to do this, and then you just get burnout, and you can tell when someone's going to get burnout. And I was like, shit, that's me. Like that's exactly oh. what happened to me. You know, like I. I I got into it because yes, I love cigars, but because I, you know, I wanted to create a YouTube channel. I wanted to have fun with it. Like I, I didn't have, you know, necessarily the wrong intentions, but I just got so burnt out and then it just became a chore. It's like, Oh, I have to go make a video or, Oh, like I, I got to the point where it's like, I don't even feel like smoking a cigar, but I have to smoke the cigar because I have to review it. Someone sent it to me, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And it just got to be to where it was a chore. And so finally, um, I had a, moderate mental breakdown and uh i just kind of i just stopped i never i feel bad actually still to this day that i never like went back and said oh hey sorry guys i'm quoting the cigar reviews or whatever because i had quite a few subs and people watched my content and enjoyed it um but i just i i had a pretty major depressive episode Mm. and i just had to i had to quit i had to get away from it Mm. I mean, it's it's good that you're able to you know see that that is an issue and step back and say, okay, let's let's get our priorities straight. Let's do something that you know still gives me dopamine and gives me the the you know I have the drive to do something else. So let's just okay, let's cut ties and do what we need to do to make myself happy because there's so many people out there that find a little bit of success and get burnt out and say you know okay, well, I this is where my success is, so I'm just going to, you know, keep my head down and keep on this because this is what I'm quote-unquote called to do. When obviously, you know, you you were doing cigar reviews, you got burnt out on it, you quit it, and now you're into mechanic work and now forging, which is obviously, you know, really what your what your calling is and where your, your passion is. And if you didn't, if you didn't realize that you're burnt out and say, screw it, I'm going to cut ties here and start what I want to do, you would never be here. Well, I, I, I appreciate all the, uh, all the, the, the props that you're giving me, but honestly, I didn't have a choice. Um, I, I was so, it was lowest, probably one of the lowest points in my life. Um, sure. and that's coming from somebody who's had brain surgery too. Um, but I mean, I've never had a problem talking about, well, sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase that. 
later in my life, I've realized that there's no reason for me not to be open and honest and talk about mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that I just, I didn't know that I had anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. And anxiety is something that I struggle with on a daily basis. Mm. And essentially what happened was I let my anxiety get to the point where my brain shut down. Yeah. And I was functioning enough to where I was going to work and coming home every day, but that's all I could do. You know, my brain was so shut down and so tired and I have what most people would consider to be an excellent, amazing marriage. And I almost ruined it. Wow. Yeah, it was really close. Um, And then finally I got help and was able to turn it around. Um, But at 30 years old, I finally got to the point where my unmanaged anxiety threw me into such a deep depression that I couldn't function. Mm. And, I mean, I don't even... I can I can barely even remember what it was like, but I mean I remember there was days where I couldn't get up off the floor. Um, I just couldn't function, uh, and I know that there's there's been a lot of talk in recent years about um, how there's been studies that come out that that have shown that the whole you know chemical imbalance um, theory towards uh, depression is kind of been debunked, but right. The fact of the matter is, is that I, I went to the doctor and I got put on medication and it helped me immensely. Um, Here's my question. You went and you did something. You, 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 again, you saw a problem in your life. You, you finally found a way to get yourself help. Does that help make you happy? Oh, absolutely. Well, then why the hell would you ever second guess any of it? You know? <laughs> Exactly. And that's, you know, it's, it's difficult for some people to talk about. And I, and I understand that. And that was the thing is, is like, there was different options, you know, like therapy. And I don't like talking to people Mm, one-on-one like that, honestly. Um, and it's probably because of my anxiety. Um, I'm, I'm, probably I'm, I would say I'm fairly introverted. And what I mean by that is not that I don't like people or that I don't get along with people because I get along with people just fine. It's just that talking to people drains my energy. So that's what I've heard is like it's it's you have to think about it like a battery. Some people, exactly. if you're if there's there's just things that you do in your life that either charges or drains your battery. Forging and, is charging. Talking yeah. is draining. Exactly. And I'm it's the very same. simple. Like. Okay, so that's one of the things, like, when I went to Blade Show, I was, like, kind of skittish and, like, weird. Like, I I was just, there's no other way to say it. I was just kind of weird. Yeah. And that's because, like, right now I'm talking to you or I do interviews, I do podcasts, I do live streams, and that is charging to me for some reason. But one-on-one, for, like, I do have a fairly large battery and I've made my battery larger and larger, but it is draining. So if you do it all day for a couple days straight, by the end of it, like I'm, it's just something about it, you know? Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm really looking forward to going to Blade this year, and I hope I'm able to. But at the same time, like I'm a little scared. Like that's going to be a lot of talking, a lot of people. Uh-huh. 
I don't know if I can recover, you know? Uh, and even, even days where I do the podcast. So like, I'm tired afterwards. Like I, I love doing the podcast. It's one of my favorite things, but I am exhausted afterwards. It's, it's, it's something that I, I have to work on. So. I mean, if you just need to say it, you can say it. Ryan, Ryan is an exhausting person to talk to. Like, I, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm screwing around over here. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. I know. Oh, goodness. Goodness gracious. So, anyways, <laughs> what were we talking about? We were talking about, uh, you know. Oh, so, anyways, all of that was a, a long way to say that, you know, um, the, the, the YouTube channel for me was kind of it ended when I – just I had to get away from it and I I worked my way through that um that major depressive episode that I had and got better and moved on to the next hobby and I've always done that I've just kind of moved on to the next hobby um if anybody wants some beer brewing equipment let me know um (laughs) you went you went into beer brewing as well oh yeah I, I, I couldn't even count the number of different hobbies that I've had. And then I get fully equipped and I, I get to the point where it's everything. And then I say, oh, and it's gone. Yeah. You lost the dop- dopamine. So exactly. Guess, it, how, how much does it take? I've never done any sort of beer brewing. My brother actually works at a brewery, but that's like a, they've got like four or five like gigantic tanks that they brew out of. How much does it really take to get into brewing? Honestly, it's it's one of those things where you can go as far as you want, really. Right, but um, that's the way everything is. Well, sure, yeah. I'd say I probably invested around $1,000 into my beer brewing setup. Oh, um, okay. Not huge, and, and I made some really great beers. Like, I made some of the best beers that I've ever had um, between either following recipes or just kind of tweaking them and kind of coming up with my own stuff. I made some really, really excellent beers. Sure. Um, what kind of flavors were you, you know, trying to deal with? Like, because I know if you just make straight beer, you know, you get hops and you get weed or you get whatever flavors coming through. But um, I guess were you were you doing some wild stuff or what? What? Tell me about some of the brews that you've done that really like were your best and your best. So my probably my best was. I did a tweak on so, – so there's a lot of beer recipes out there that you can buy kits, and there's sort of a, uh, a clone of a really well-known beer. And one of my favorite pale ales is the Sierra Nevada Pale. It's a green bottle okay. or a green can. It's, yep. it's, it's a little bit heavier than like a, a light ale, and it's just packed with really good flavor. Um, but it's not so heavy that you can't you – know, it's not hard to drink. Yeah, there's some of those beers that, like, they're really tasty, but you can only drink one. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. you know, stouts, things like that are, are definitely that for me. Um, yeah. So I did I did kind of a tweak on, like, the Sierra Nevada, and I have no idea. I've written down somewhere what I did, but I don't, I don't remember. Um, but I did a tweak kind of on that, that Sierra Nevada pale, and it was delightful. I had multiple people that told me that it was one of the best beers they'd ever had. Wow. Wow. And um, do you know, like, roughly how much APV it was? Ooh, I I believe that one tested out somewhere around six. Okay, so it's not, like, it's not going to mess you up. You know, it's, no. it's, it's middle of the road-ish. 
No, I made some higher octane beers. I was doing some IPAs and stuff that I got up into the seven, seven and a half range, but I was never shooting for super high, super high alcohol content. Now, do you still have your brewing equipment, or did you sell that all off? No, it's all. It's in the. It's in a closet. It's all there. All I'm, all I'm saying is, you know, there's some podcasts have done some pretty wild merch stuff. <laughs> Hustle and grind beer might be a thing that would be really cool. That would be kind of cool. I don't know. I don't know. I'd buy some hustle and grind beer. That's yeah, yeah. I could. I don't know. I, I might get it. It I really enjoyed it and I love doing it. Um But uh I don't know. I, I just I honestly that was years ago and I just haven't touched it since. You know, I don't even remember how to do it. I'd have to <laughs> I'd have to relearn all over again, so Honestly, the knife making is the only thing I've ever done this long. Um, sure. When I first started, my wife was kind of like, do you really need another hobby? Like, we're doing this again. Yeah, but this one actually will pay for itself eventually. Well, all, all, of, my, all of my hobbies had a plan to where they could pay for themselves. Sure. You know, uh, I was going to I was going to start a brewery with my buddy who was also into beer brewing, you know. Sure. I was going to make a YouTube channel where, you know, I I'd make enough to where it would it would buy all of my cigars, you know. They they all had that... like this grand scheme to it, you know. And sure. I've never done anything like knife making. And mm. once once I got to a certain point, my wife started looking at my work and she's like, "Oh. So this isn't like everything else." <laughs> see that's the thing that ryan and i talked about in the in his episode where it's like you know with a lot of other hobbyists there's a there's a spot at which you plateau and there's like not a whole lot more that you can do locally you know if you got crazy with it and you you know really um invested in some really high-end stuff you could go go into more intricate things that keeps your brain happy or keeps that dopamine alive where with knife making you know, you can always do better than the knife you just finished. You can always. always go. And once you've got something that you are really happy with and you're exactly like, this is this is where it's at, it's time to find another rabbit hole because there's a million of them in knife making. There really is, yeah. Yeah. I Honestly, I don't even know when that, when that switch was, but it was, it was, it was somewhere in there. And then, so let's see here. I think it was... Somewhere in my first year, after the first couple of months, uh, Jason Knight came out with his Forge series, and mm-hmm. I think it was it was I don't know, it was probably six months in or so, and I was like talking to my wife. I was like, "Babe, Jason Knight's got this this series. Uh, uh, would you mind if I spent some money on this?" You know, and she was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And I was I was kind of shocked, you know, because like. Usually with, with my ventures, you know, I kind of have to convince my wife to, to do this thing. And, like, that was kind of the turning point in my mind where she was like, if you can, if you can better yourself and, you know, like, you're not going to be able to learn everything on your own. If you can learn from somebody else and let me tell you, make yourself she's a better. Keeper. She's a keeper. My wife is amazing. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't, I could not do life without her. So, but, but that was the point where I realized that she believed in me, you know, like, right. Like, like she understood that this wasn't just a hobby. She understood that this wasn't like every other thing that I tried to do. Um, you know, she, I had her full support, you know, and, and wow. that was, that was the major turning point in my knife making was when, when I, when I 
when I took the Ford series from Jason Knight. I mean, if you you could hold one knife up before Jason Knight series and then one knife after, and the the difference was night and day. It was it was sure. huge. So getting that that education was what really really pushed me to to up the quality, and it just taught me so much that you know you don't know what you don't know, and. Right. And that was incredible. So that's why Jason Knight's kind of always been one of the top guys in my head. You know, that's yeah. I learned so much from him. Your interview with Jason Knight, you on the Hustle and Grind. That is one of the most entertaining interviews I've ever heard of him because you guys got him to talk about a little bit of you know the crazy stuff with the the conspiracy theories and all the fun like aliens. You you opened him up like I've never heard on any <laughs> other interview show. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, that was my first, that was my first show. You know, that was, that was brutal. I was shaking, you know, like, oh, I understand that 1000%. That was, that was <laughs> intense. That was really difficult for me. And then just to, you know, just to chat with him like a normal human being was, was so cool. Um, yeah. because it's, you know, somebody that I look up to that much and then we're just having a normal conversation. So, right. Dude, I I mean, of course, the two of us, like, I I relate with that so much. If you go back and listen to, like, that, the first, you know, the Jeremy Simple Little Life or the Jimmy Duresta episode, I was literally silent through the entire damn thing until someone asked me a question. Yeah, I remember that. And I get it because it's just like, oh, my God, I'm new here, and why the hell am I in the room with this level of a person, you know? Yeah, no, it's it can be t- intimidating at first for sure, um, but then you realize you... that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's just you, you get to the point where you're talking and you realize that most of these guys, like they they're just normal people, you know, like yeah. especially somebody like Jason. He's so humble and down to earth. Like he's super easy to talk to. So yeah. yeah, they're they've been doing everything a lot more than you, but they they don't they don't look down on other people. It's it's right. awesome. Right. Right. So in the Hustle and Grind, you have a segment that is probably the funniest segment I've ever heard on a knife-making show. What is that segment? Are you talking about Florida Man? Hell yeah, I'm talking about Florida Man or fraud. <laughs> what 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 made you come up with that idea? Like, where is the genesis of it? So Florida Man or fraud is uh, – it's not like a full-on ripoff, but uh, – so back when I used to live over on the coast, so I grew up over on the coast of uh, Washington State. Um, a lot of people might not know, but Washington State is essentially two states. So on the west side of the uh, Cascade Mountains is what people typically think of when they think of Washington State. It's sure. raining for 10 months out of the year. There's moss on everything, and there's a bunch of big cities. On the eastern half of Washington State, there are mountains still, but it's a lot drier. There's some deserts, um, big open plains, plateaus. Um, I live in the Columbia Basin, which is central Washington, um, and there's lots of orchards, things like that, lots of agricultural stuff over here. So it's basically two different states, just climate-wise everything else sure what was i talking about where florida man or fraud came from thank you i appreciate that Uh, i was letting you go on this walk (laughs) so i i grew up on the other on the wet side of the state 
and they had this uh, radio station called 99, it's 99.9 KISW, and mm-hmm. the afternoon show was called The Men's Room, and I used to listen okay. to this radio show every single day, and they had a segment on there that they did, um, which I think the first iteration of it was called Black, White, Mexi, or Jew. Oh, Jesus. Well, and, and mind you, this is... Oh, my God. <laughs> mind you, this is in a very liberal state. And, I mean, this is right. this is this is not, like, what, you, what you'd expect. Um, right. I think the... I mean, the, that's shock rock right there. Oh, absolutely. So, so they would read off a ridiculous story, and then they would have... People would call into the show, and they would have to guess whether the perpetrator of whatever the ridiculous story was, was black, white, Mexi or Jew. Yeah. And they would throw in little subtle hints here and there about, you know, whether, Oh, was he arrested by the police or, you know, like different, different things to kind of give you an idea of, of what, uh, what the ethnicity was of the, of the perpetrator. And honestly, I don't, they're probably not doing it anymore. I can't imagine. Oh, I can't imagine that. Yeah, there's in, no in way that that's still on political air. climate. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, so I obviously I didn't want to do a full on ripoff, but I remembered, you know, most of the stories that they came up with, the you know, the news articles were from from Florida because sure. Florida is crazy, right? And so I was like trying to think in my head, like, how can I tweak this? And I'm like, well, half the time, you know, it's in Florida, but it's somewhere else, you know, so that's kind of where it came from was I was just trying to do a spin on, you know, a radio show bit that I used to listen to all the time. So, sure. Um, I think almost as good as the, the idea or the, the little bit is, is your intro to that bit. Did you make that yourself? I did. Thank you. Can you play it for us? Like, do you have a way to play it? I do not currently. Um, oh. I, I recorded the the sound bit and I sent it to Ryan. Ryan does all the controls for it, and oh. so he he puts in the sound bites. I know um, it sounds ridiculous, but could you like do a little mini rendition of it? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida Man or Fraud? All right, this is the guest episode of Florida Man or Fraud. I have three different news articles, and you're going to have to guess, is it Florida Man or is it someone else? Are you ready to play, Noah? Are you, are you serious right now? I am serious. I've got three lined up. Oh, my gosh. Let's do it. I've never been on this end of it before. <laughs> I, I wanted to flip the script on you. So the first one, this one is wild. So this is a person who got caught smuggling 51 turtles and got sentenced to 57 months in prison. Oh, my gosh. Basically, I'm I'm not going to read it because I'm going to read the wrong, like I'm going to give you the state or the the town or something. You'll be able to figure it out. So I'm just going to summarize it real quick. So basically, this guy got caught trying to get on a plane and he was he was stopped and he had 51 turtles stuffed into his pants. What? He was trying to get to China. He was trying to fly to China and he got caught with 51 turtles in his pants. So oh is this gosh. guy it is this guy serving 57 months in prison in Florida or somewhere else? That's a tough one. Man. 
fifth okay so 51 turtles right pants flying to china that's what we've got that's what we have mm. the script has been flipped i've never been in the hot seat before normally i'm, I'm the one like trying to convince people that they need to guess and they're like man now i know what it feels like this is this is rough um i'm gonna go florida because turtles there's plenty of turtles in the south if he's trying to smuggle them into china i could see that they would come from florida they had to have been small turtles so that's i mean <laughs> i mean they have to be small turtles otherwise they wouldn't fit like baby turtle or something i mean there's turtles everywhere in the united states so it's not just limited to florida but yeah oh man here's the next question how in the hell do you sit down on that plane i don't know that do you sit that's on the dis- turtles that's like disturbing. what right right so right. what's your final answer yeah i'll, I'll go florida and eh. dang it where was do it? you want to guess where he was from no i have no idea that was michigan man oh my gosh really yep, yep. oh i should have known should have known i mean come on now all right number two this is a different one entirely All right. man got charged for throwing a hot dog at a police officer all right, so basically this guy was had a cart and he was selling hot dogs, but he didn't have a license to sell. He didn't have the correct permits. So these officers roll up and they start asking him questions. And this guy is absolutely obstinate and like just not answering questions, still like just yelling at the officers. And then basically while he is is um, getting yelled or getting interviewed by these officers, interrogated by these officers, he's still trying to sell hot dogs to passersby. And basically the the officer tries to stop him and as a retaliation for trying to be stopped, he threw the hot dog in his hand at the officer. That's assault. He's going to jail. So is he serving in Florida or is he serving somewhere else? Okay. I'm I'm gonna go not Florida. And the reason that I'm gonna go not Florida is because it's a hot dog stand and that sounds like New York to me. Okay. And that's that's all right. If if you threw a hot dog story in there just to throw me off, I'm gonna be mad at you. <laughs> final answer final answer and that was florida man oh my gosh <laughs> this is terrible oh man you're you're defaming me i'm the guy that does this and i can't even guess one right oh here my i was gosh. worried i was worried that you're going to have already read all these because like you're the guy who has to research all this stuff you know how many florida man stories i've read just today and i haven't come across either one of those exactly oh my gosh all right, we've got one final one. This one's what you didn't know is this last one is for all the marbles. Oh, if geez. you get this last one, then you win the game. Okay, all right. Let's do it. All right. Final one. All right. So this is meth delivery in the Skyway surprise a homeowner. I don't know why that's that that doesn't really sound right. Anyways, basically here's the story. So this woman wakes up in the morning and she's going out with her cup of coffee in hand, going out to get the mail, and she walks outside and there is meth sitting on her front lawn. So of course she she calls up the police, they come out and investigate, and they just have no idea where it came from. And the only thing that they could think of is that maybe um, these smugglers, these meth smugglers, flew over and like dropped it f- um, from the plane to try to, you know, basically drop the meth into America, and that's where somebody would come and pick it up. But they dropped it in the wrong place, and hence she had meth on her lawn. Is oh, that Florida, gosh. or is that from somewhere else? 
Okay. All right. Let's take everything in here. So number one, meth. That screams Florida. Number two, it was dropped from a plane, which means that it's probably somewhere near, I mean, more often than not, drug drop drug drop-offs are happening near the border. Florida is a border state in that it has ports and stuff, but you wouldn't think that meth would come in from a plane. You'd think that this would be more like a Texas or, or something like that where you know meth could have come in over the border. Not that they don't make meth in the United States, but... Oh, man, see, that's, that's kind of like a 50-50 there because the, the plane is what's throwing me off here. Remember, this is for all the marbles. If you win it, then you win the whole game. You win your own game. I win my yeah my own game that I came up with. Jeez, come <laughs> on, this is this is brutal. Um, ugh. okay. So all we know is it's meth. Front lawn police came out. Their best guess was that it was dropped from a plane, which means that this is probably in like a drug smuggling sort of highway or flyway, as it would be. You would guess wherever this is at, they have, like, drug problems there. Right. Okay. I want to say Florida because it's meth, but I don't see someone smuggling meth in by plane in Florida is the only problem. So Okay. I'm going to go not Florida because I think you're trying to throw me off with the meth. Okay. And because I think the plane is probably not Florida. So not Florida, final answer. Not Florida, like, okay, so your guess is not Florida. Do you want to try to throw a Hail Mary, Hail Mary at a state? Uh, Texas. Texas? Okay. You're right about the fact that it's not Florida. But let's think about the, let's go back and think about the, the ones that I've read you already. One is from Michigan, where I'm from. One is from Florida. Where do you think this last one's from? Washington. It was from Washington. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Did uh, it say where in Washington? Um, let me let me open it back up. Um, Skyway was Washington. Skyway. Yeah. Oh, in Skyway. That's why that made. Oh my goodness! Remember, I I read the the oh. article and it said in Skyway, and I was okay. like, meth delivery in Skyway surprises homeowner. I if I assume that like because it was dropped from a plane, they're saying like from a Skyway. Oh well, I mean it still it still worked, right? <laughs> Close enough. Oh geez, okay. yeah, that's that's uh, south of Seattle. I just had to Google it because I had to find out where it was. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Oh hey, it's Did right you... right next to the Museum of Flight. <laughs> of course why not oh jeez, that was a good one man you you got me you got me good on those first two but hey i you said it was for all the marbles that means I it was for all I the marbles and you hit won. it you win you win you're the winner so noah i really appreciate you sitting down for this interview did you have fun i had fun i okay, i cool. did not expect the the florida man thing so well done sir awesome awesome well noah where can people find you on Instagram, any at river at any at river forge with underscores. You can find me on Facebook, uh, any at river forge. Um, um, I have a website, any at riverforge.square.site. Um, that's about it, man. All right, man. Well, I truly appreciate you spending your time, and I also am a big fan of the hustle and grind. Keep on hustling and keep on grinding on thing. 
you guys are doing a fantastic job with that show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. That's that's really great to hear. Thanks for having me on, dude. This was, this yeah. was fun. Appreciate it. Truly, anytime you want to come on, or we should try to do like a, a you know multi-interview show with both of you guys. That'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. I'm down. All right, man. Let's get on out of here. I appreciate you, Noah. Work for it, guys. Work for it, baby.